if a child uh, who is, let's say, 10 years old is tested for Arton phosphatase, the levels are typically very high. We're talking about three, four, five hundred um, uh, units. And and if you if you if you use and most hospitals, as we speak, actually most hospitals across the world, uh, probably many in the UK and many in other countries, do uh, use adult reference for children. That's Kosro Adeli, Head and Professor of Clinical Biochemistry at the Hospital for Sick Children and the University of Toronto. Now, each time you order a test for a child, do you think about the population that makes up the baseline against which those results are measured? It turns out that historically, those reference intervals have been based on adults, but children, especially neonates and adolescents, are undergoing physiological change that means those reference intervals may not be appropriate. To get around this, Adeli and colleagues have undertaken a mission to recruit children and young people into a study of their test results. I'm Duncan Jarvis, multimedia editor for the BMJ, and Adeli joined me on the line from Canada to discuss what they did and what clinicians need to think about when ordering tests in children. Okay, so to start uh, with a bit of history, um, I was recruited here about 20 years ago. I quickly realized uh, that uh, many hospitals email us or call us and ask for reference ranges for this test and, or that test. And, uh, and then when I looked, uh, there were some scattered information available even for our own tests here at the, uh, at the, it's called the Hospital for Sick Children. Now, this this hospital is one of the largest hospitals in North America for pediatric health, uh, also worldwide. And so it's been used as a reference for many decades uh, by other hospitals. So they've been coming to us asking for these values. What is the normal value for this test or that test? And I quickly realized that that information is not readily available. And, and then looking at the literature, there's been some some efforts um, in the U.S., in Europe, um, Australia, elsewhere, but uh, relatively um, small studies uh, looking at a few tests here and there, looking at the small groups of children. And there haven't been really any systematic uh, study of uh, what is a healthy level for these tests. And, and typically, uh, we have hundreds of tests uh, that are done uh, uh, for different kinds of diseases, depending on what the physician is looking for or what the child is uh, suffering from. Uh, there are different types of tests. So therefore, a large number of tests, most of, for most of which there, there were no re re healthy or reference ranges available. And so... This has been an ongoing problem for decades, and um, and it's not a new problem. And uh, but there have been attempts in the past, but uh, not uh, not uh, uh, you looking at you know mm. large uh, pediatric populations. Mm. So how was it that you sort of managed to overcome whatever barriers were in place that that stopped that systematic? Um, 
look at this? Initially, it was very difficult to get any funding because most people were not aware of this problem. The problem is that the patients are not aware, physicians are not aware, even a lot of the lab community haven't paid enough attention to this gap or problem. But I have to say that fortunately, I was eventually successful. And I have to say the first year, it was a very difficult, uh, difficult, uh, despite the spending a, a, a fair amount of resources um, and doing a lot of promotion, we only were able to convince uh, less than less than 100 families or kids to participate. But quickly after that, I actually was uh, quite pleasantly surprised with the, once the families and and the schools have became aware of the the problem and the issue, they started participating. And and, uh, our initial goal was actually 400 uh, children. Then we, we increased that to um, 1,400 because we really needed additional numbers. I couldn't expect uh, to, to grow this quickly, but uh, over the last 10 years, we have now recruited over 10,000 children. That's great. And, um, you know, the results are, are, are there for people to, to be able to access. Um, and in this article, what you've done is summarize some of those things for us. Um but before we sort of get into the the nitty gritty of that, I just wondered, you know, you you came into this knowing that uh, that there was a dearth of information. Um, was there anything in in those results, anything that you saw, any patterns that surprised you, anything that really stuck out in your mind? Yeah, actually, quite a few surprises. In the sense that what we have done is taken these thousands of samples and then run many tests and. Uh, what we do is we actually uh, graph um, results, uh, males and females, from birth to 18 years of age, and basically can actually show a, a diagram of how ch- these tests change as the child grows, as they mature um, uh, from you know neonatal age to infant to teens, uh, and uh, at that uh, pre and post puberty levels of different hormones, level, levels of different molecules we, uh, we have in our uh, blood circulation that are used to, uh, we call analytes or tests that are used um, uh, to assess presence of disease. Uh, so these, uh, these, every one of these appear to change in, in a di- different way. So uh, in the past, uh, th- this, there was not appreciation of that. And I think the Calvary study has helped open many eyes, eyes of not just lab community, but the physicians have actually been surprised with some of the uh, the findings. Uh, one, uh, one example is, for example, troponin. So if the level is high, it's a, a good indication that it's actually uh, due to a, a damage to the heart and likely due to a heart attack. Uh, that test used to be thought to be basically not detectable or that not uh, very low in children. But then when we actually mm-hmm. did the test, we noticed that uh, babies after birth had very high levels of troponin. Um, and actually, many studies were being done with that assumption that children have very low levels. And then so this actually, our finding... Uh, reversed a lot of the 
the the initial thoughts around this test and and that has actually impacted a lot of the clinical trials being done in children with this test mm-hmm. um, so we're we, because the heart is rapidly developing in a neonate um, therefore levels are very high normally very high and so that's not an abnormal level so that's an example of where actually I met with cardiologists and cardiologists were very intrigued and surprised with this kind of finding. So certainly there have been a number of findings and that's just one example that has has certainly impacted um, uh, patient care and clinical studies in this area. Mm. And um, we'll get on to talk a little bit about some more detail of, of some other tests um, in a little bit. But just before that, I wonder, um, you know, given that the, the assumptions that you, you said that have been overturned with your your troponin um, study, is there any documented or, or, I don't know, modelled harm that's been associated with the lack of having correct reference values for... Uh, reference intervals for, for for children? Yes, definitely. Unfortunately, uh, there have been studies, although not many, but there have been studies actually documenting that uh, in adults and children, it's not just solely children, that if you use the wrong reference range, you can make inappropriate clinical decisions. Uh, and in many cases, either mm. misdiagnose or overdiagnose, uh, which case can lead to additional tests and additional procedures that might be uh, unnecessary. So uh, f- an example is uh, um, is outcome phosphatase is where if a child uh, who is, let's say, 10 years old is tested for outcome phosphatase, the levels are typically very high. We're talking about three, four, five hundred. So if a 10 year old goes and gets tested, and the reference range for an adult is used, the upper normal level is 100. So a child that has a level of 400 would be immediately flagged as having an abnormal test result. This means that child is then, depending on who the physician is and how familiar they are, they may send the child for additional investigation, for example, for an x-ray, for for uh, an MRI, very expensive procedures, which are totally unnecessary. Of course. Um, now, you've mentioned a couple of tests where there's variation, and um, in the article you've got a table with 13 other examples. But I wonder, out of the, the breadth of all of the, the different tests that you've done, um, you know, how many of them, what's the percentage that, that you see a sort of notable variation between children or even within children's life course and and um, the reference intervals that are traditionally used? Yeah, adults? at the last count, uh, Caliper, uh, we were just uh, finishing a review article and I noticed that we have done, uh, we have tested over 178 different things or tests. And so out of this sort of over 100 or 170 different tests, I would say a large majority do differ between adults and children, but it depends on on the age. And uh, so, for example, uh, uh, some some mar- some tests 
are very high in children and then go down before one becomes an adult, so reaches adulthood. Um, and some actually go up, some change, let's say, before puberty, but then right after puberty are the same in, in, as an adult. So it really varies. It's hard to say what, uh, how it, uh, you can't predict the change from one test to another. Every test appears to have its mm. own, prof we call profile, its own behavior. Uh, so levels change. And also, even within the age group of, we call pediatrics under 18, levels change uh, potentially. Some uh, There are some tests that do not change much. Um, things like calcium, for example, do not change much at all, whereas most other tests do. So uh, that's why there is, uh, I think, a strong recommendation that one should be aware of the pediatric ranges and not rely on adult ranges when diagnosing children. I mean, the picture you paint there is an incredibly complex. Um, you know, for, so for a, a clinician listening to this, um, could you perhaps go through some things to consider if uh, they have, I don't know, a neonate and an infant and a child and an adolescent, uh, you know, in front of them at those different life stages? Um, what would it be? What would you consider, or what would you be thinking about at each of those those points? Your neonates um, have very um, significant differences with. Um, other children as well as older children as well as adults. So therefore, um, definitely uh, neonatal uh, testing should be interpreted based on values that are specific to that age group. So um, there are many differences uh, for most tests that we have done. And therefore, um, having been aware of uh, data available for neonates is really important for a clinician. My recommendation is that if data is not available, if reference values for a neonate or for a healthy neonate is not available from the local lab, that the clinician should make themselves aware of uh, other sources. Uh, mm. Caliper is one, but there are some other sources as well. Mm. And are there any particular tests or any... Um Anything that people should particularly look out for or, or be aware that the, there is going to be variation there? You've, you've it's mentioned quite, yeah, It does vary um, quite a bit. Troponin, I mentioned, is one, but actually most tests we have done, almost most of the 170 plus tests we have done do differ between neonates and other, other age groups. So neonates, particularly under 30 days of age, so birth to a 30 days, are particularly different uh, and variable compared to other ages. Um, now, obviously, neonates are, are undergoing a huge amount of, sort of physiological change, and then um, infants and children, it maybe slows down a bit. So uh, how about that group? Is um, is that as different? Uh, what yeah. should people consider? So then? that's a good point. So after the first 30 days, particularly after the, f the first six months, uh, you, we noticed that many tests do stabilize, and uh, levels do stabilize in a child, um, and do not change as rapidly as they do they did uh, the first uh, few months. But 
depending on the test, some continue to change. Uh, we use the creatinine in an example, which is a test of kidney function and health of the kidneys. So if, if creatinine is measured, uh, you notice that as the child grows every year, um, the levels are higher, for example. A normal level is higher. So as the child is growing, levels continue to increase, and that is normal. So, uh, so whereas there are some other tests that do not change as much, but so again, uh, it depends on the test. Mm. And then obviously, um, going into adolescence and puberty, there is another set of physiological changes that are, are going to be taking place. So um, again, does that uh, affect uh, things greatly? They do in certain tests particularly, particularly uh, of course sex hormones, but other hormones as well that are important for a number of uh, different functions and for a healthy uh, adolescent levels have to be at a certain level. Uh, so these 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 levels do change dramatically uh, after puberty, and sometimes they continue to change until the child becomes adult. Now, in adulthood, um, changes are less less uh, significant, uh, but they, there are some tests that continue to change in adults as well. But but uh, but certainly during adolescence and teen years there are major changes there are at least two or three dozen tests that 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 are changed quite significantly so given the 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 huge amount of variation and things going on there who is it you think doctors should talk to about what reference ranges are being used their local labs um who would it be that you would recommend going and speaking to yeah um i highly recommend that physicians, uh, whether they're family uh, physicians or specialists, um, make themselves familiar with the lab they're using. Uh, so every physician typically uses one or more labs that, and do get the test done through that lab. But making a connection and becoming familiar with their operations is really helpful and making a connection to a lab specialist, um, usually uh, a pathologist or a biochemist or a microbiologist, depending on the, f the testing that they, they, they're ordering, uh, making themselves uh, uh, more aware of how the lab operates and asking them directly about the reference ranges and how and whether these reference ranges have been updated one problem you commonly find is that many labs have reference ranges that have been the same for decades and and have not been updated and this is a common problem uh, so even though methods have changed and tests have changed uh, even populations change uh, over 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 decades because of immigration and because of other changes uh, and uh, environmental factors uh, reference ranges in many cases have not been updated. So being, uh, being aware of whether the lab is using the latest reference ranges, if they're not, then perhaps looking for other sources to inform themselves. Mm. And um, 
again in the article you mentioned some of those sources but if you could take us through some I'm, I'm sure people would love to hear about it certainly uh, uh, of course the caliper project has perhaps the most comprehensive database uh, and data set uh, available and it's freely available currently online through a web web uh, website uh, we call it a web database it's actually been updated this month and we're hoping in june to go live with the with the new web web database uh, for over 170 different tests and again children from birth to uh, to 18. now uh, it's also available this data uh, available to a uh, a caliper um, and that is currently available but it, it has about 60, 70 tests in there. So that's been updated as well. So there would be uh, easily data accessible through uh, from Caliper. But I have to say that there have been a number of other sources and activities, uh, particularly one from Germany recently, um, uh, mostly on the German population, but it's still quite, quite useful. Uh, it uh, uh, it's available also, some of that data is available online and also through publications. Um, and so uh, that that could be can be found uh, by just simply Googling the information. We also provide some references to those studies in our article. Uh, so the German study, there is a study that has published data from Scandinavia. Uh, so there, that would be another source. Uh, there's uh, there is a study in Australia that was published and also they have harmonized some of the reference intervals across Australia. You've been listening to Kosro Adeli discuss his article Important Considerations for Interpreting Biochemical Tests in Children. That's now available on bmj.com. That's all for this podcast, but we'll be back soon with that interview with Steve Wollishan and Lisa Schwartz about the misunderstanding of the motives of the Too Much Medicine Brigade. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss out on that. I'm Duncan Jarvis. Thanks for listening.